Greetings. Welcome to today's meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous Private. I'm Fernando, alcoholic. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Today I'm going to be reading you from April 1993, A.A. Grapevine. I love these stories. They make me come alive. The first story in the book, I guess the best ones is up front, right? There's three of them. This one is the guy at the end of the bar. I sat at the bar nursing a hangover and trying to come to grips with the insanity of the days past. I noticed an empty pickle jar sitting near their cash register. Taped across the front of it was a piece of paper that said, Flowers for Ed. Judging by the amount of change lying in the bottom of the jar, Ed must not have been very well known. I heard someone ask, Who is Ed? The bartender said, You know Ed. He's the guy that always sat at the end of the bar. I looked over at the end of the bar to see an empty bar stool. I had been drinking there for years, but could not only vaguely remember what Ed looked like. I looked around and realized I didn't recognize anyone in the bar. I had seen them all before, but didn't know any of them. I picked up my drink and downed it, and I motioned to the bartender to pour me another one. As I did... The wording on the jar changed. At first, I couldn't make out. Then I heard someone say, Who's Larry? The bartender replied, He's the guy who always sat third seat from the end of the bar. Judging from the amount of change in the bottom of the jar, Larry must not have been very well known. I thought, My God, this is how I'll be remembered. For a couple of days, my name would be scribbled on a piece of paper on a pickled jar it was a far cry from the dreams of my childhood. I had all but forgotten this incident until one evening a while back when I was at a meeting and a card was passed around for the family of a member who had gone back out and died an alcoholic death. The chairperson was trying to describe who this fellow was. His words hit me hard. You know, he's the fellow who always used to sit at the end of the bar table. That started me thinking, are we losing touch with each other and becoming so wrapped up in our own little world that we don't even know the person sitting next to us at a meeting? Even the people we see on a regular basis, are they just the people we come in contact with once a week for an hour? Are we reaching out to each other outside the meeting? Are we being so anonymous that we can't call one another because we don't have a last name to look up in the phone book? Are we sharing with each other one-on-one? -on -one? When I was drinking, I wouldn't allow anyone to know me. In sobriety, my life depends on my working the 12 steps to get out of myself and share myself with you. As AA grows, it is impossible to know everyone. But if I try to relate myself with just one other person, something will happen, something remarkable. Thank you, Larry C. from Marietta, Ohio. Our next article is called 
a teenager in Paris. Hi, my name is Lily, and I am an alcoholic. It's been wonderful to share Christmas Eve with you all. Um, well, I haven't mentioned anything to Sabrina yet, so I am a bit nervous about saying this, but my heart sank. Lily's my mother. I'm Sabrina, and I'm 15 years old. We're both recovering alcoholics, and at that time, we were living in Oregon. As most of you know, my mom continued, Sabrina and I are going to Paris for the Christmas holidays. Some of you also know the difficulty I've been facing in the last couple of months due to my job. Difficulties was a pretty light word for it, I thought. My mom, my mom was a counselor for alcoholics and drug addicts, teenage ones. The problem was that she had been getting codependent with her clients, most of whom were friends of mine. And I've been getting jealous due to all the time she had devoted to these kids. This had been an ongoing problem since I had gotten sober six months earlier. To get to the point, I'm not sure Sabrina and I are coming back. She looked at me. I felt the blood rush up to my head. Everyone looked to see my reaction. I think they were just as shocked as I was. I know this is a kind of a bomb dropped out of nowhere, but I thought about it a lot and it feels right to me. So that's how I got the news. I was moving to Paris the next day, leaving everything behind. Everything. Christmas Day, we got our bags, which had been packed for a two-week vacation, and set off. No goodbyes, no furniture, no value belongings, no photo albums, no great-grandma's favorite antique dish, no dogs, no money, no nothing, nothing except ourselves, our sobriety, and two suitcases. Our first week in Paris was fuzzy due to jet lag. We slept until late afternoon, then hit a meeting at night and returned to bed only to fall asleep sometime the next morning. I didn't take much time to let the reality of this enormous change sink in. To figure out what the hell I was doing in Paris, but this great cloud of jet lag soon evaporated and rage and fear came to the surface. I went to many meetings and at first I seemed to be making friends, going out to coffee, etc., etc. But it wasn't long before I began to resent the fact that I had lost a fellowship back in Oregon, where there had been many, many young members to whom I could relate and who were interested in doing the things I wanted to do. In Paris, I soon became, it became clear. There wasn't any members my age. In fact, none were less than 10 years older than me. This by no means meant they were old, but there was still a great gap between us. Nevertheless, I continued to go to meetings and grew to love many people in Paris. AA, even if they hoovered over me like mother hands, my mom and I, although we had moments where we were ready to kill each other, became extremely close, but extremely close came to mean very codependent. Not only did I isolate myself from my peers at school, but I did absolute everything with my mother. This situation got worse when, as the months passed, I still couldn't find a sponsor who could live up to my sponsor in the States. Needless to say, I was growing increasingly lonely as time went on, and I couldn't find a way out. 
At nine months sober, I could feel an ulcer forming. I even tried to start smoking again after I had quit for over three months. Thank God I didn't succeed. I questioned my sobriety, even my life. I knew I wanted to be sober, and I loved the program, but thoughts started to flash through my mind like, well, if you were drinking, you'll make friends really easy. When my one-year anniversary suddenly popped up, AA, I knew something had to change. Otherwise, there was no doubt I would relapse. Shortly thereafter, I got a sponsor. I picked up Big Book Thumper, who wanted me to call her at 7.30 every morning. And the amazing part was that I followed her suggestions and did what she said. It wasn't long before I was reading the literature constantly, starting my day in the morning instead of midday, going to double the amount of meetings, praying on my knees morning and night throughout the day, and accepting the fact that even if Paris AA seemed to lack young people, it would have to do. I started feeling better and listening to the similarities I had with people instead of the differences. I found that the spiritual aspect of the program filled the void I had felt in my sober life. It didn't happen overnight. For sure, it was and still is hard. I miss the younger people back in the States, and I still don't socialize much with people my own age. But I know it's okay, and it will pass. There are always solutions. For example, a while back, I set a goal to earn enough money to go to the 35th International Convention of Young People in AA in Cleveland. I knew that going there would help me keep the faith that more young people can arrest their disease here in Paris as they do elsewhere. I believe that with this program, miracles happen. And perhaps God has given me the gift of sitting in a well-earned seat as an example, so that the next year young pe- persons will have a less difficult time of it. I know that it is possible to stay sober at 15 in Paris, AA. This is from Ariel Z from Paris, France. And the last statement says, I believe that with this program, miracles happen. And perhaps God has given me the gift of sitting in a well-earned seat as an example, so that the next young person will have a less difficult time of it. Knowing that it is possible to stay sober at 15 in Paris, AA. Wow, what a cognitive, interesting person reading, huh? Our next story is called... Manufacturing Misery by Bill A. Gainesville, Florida. I must admit that there are parts of the big book I never read. For instance, I'm a single bachelor alcoholic. Now, past 40, I have never felt necessary to understand chapter 9, the family afterwards. But as in so many other cases, when I've cunningly cut corners, I also shortchanged myself. Ain't that the truth? My sponsor rudely brought this to my attention in response to one of my self-centered laments. Actually, he simply asked me, when was the last time you read the top of page 133? I had to admit I had no idea. 
I made it a point to check out page 133. It turned out to be part of the chapter I had earlier dismissed. I read, We are sure that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We cannot subscribe to the belief that this life is a veil of tears, though it once was just that for many of us. But it is clear that we made our own misery. God didn't do it. Avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery. Apparently, he was trying to tell me something. In another instance, in reply to my moans about financial insecurity, my sponsor again suggested that I look at a passage from, from the same chapter. For us, material well-being always follows spiritual progress. It never preceded it. I guess the point I was trying to make is simply this. For too many years, as I bounced in and out of this program, I picked and mistakenly chose what I thought was good for me. Meanwhile, winners like my peaceful sponsor took advantage of the entire program, which included every page of the big book. By trying to be prejudged the value of something, I had unwillingly ignored the sage, the wisdom observation on page 570, that there is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. The principle is contempt prior to investigation. Sobriety is too precious to shortchange myself. I was from Bill A. from Gainesville, Florida. Wow. Thank you, Bill. Our next story is from Bob Hope from Midland, Michigan. Bob H. At times I grip with an unexplainable regret that some of the relationships in my life have been fallen by the wayside. Both sober and drunk, I have had many people that I once called friends not call much anymore, nor in some cases have I made any attempt to call them. Are there skeletons I am avoiding? Do I owe amends? In some cases, the answer is no. It's just the way it goes. Let me explain. In looking at my 10th step on an almost daily basis, I find that a majority of my thoughts are wrapped up with others. Occasionally, I will have thoughts of a person who has meant a great deal to me. In the forefront of my reflection, I wonder what has happened that I no longer have the same relationship that I once had, and why do I feel the remorse? Terminal uniqueness delayed my discussion this matter with someone. I was certain that it was something that I had done which could cause these splits. In my drinking days, this was more often than not the truth. As my actions were often the cause of losing buddies, yet now I was confused because I couldn't find nothing in my inventory that would suggest that an amends was in order to improve any of these relationships or friendships. They simply had ceased being what they once were. After discussing this with a good friend whom I consider a sponsor, he simply answered, made sense, his simple answer. God only loans us people in our lives. He has the right to call in the loan at any time. The loan may be short or long, but when the time is up, it is up. It's up. Yes, this was the case with me. God had called me in the marker on some of my 
friendships. And this doesn't mean that the people died. It simply means that things change, and this includes friends. People who were special to me in my early sobriety remain special to me, and their words of healing are still with me today. We don't, however, have the constant contact we once did. I wouldn't have room for all of them in my life. Anyway, it would be broken my heart to even think of this before, but it's true. I have realized that God is doing for me what I cannot do for myself when it comes to sharing friendships with my fellows and family. Since becoming sober, I took a job that required a move. I left behind many things, friends, family, favorite eating places, and favorite meeting meetings. Loneliness did set in for a while, but today I am comfortable and happy living where I am. I have been blessed with new eateries, meetings, and friends, including a loving and beautiful wife. It's not that I do not occasionally think of my old friends, but I choose to live for today and savor the time that I spent with my new friends. The loan was called in on some of them, and new loans were issued on others. I have found that some of the new loans are short-term, yet each and every one fills a need in my life. It is God's hand that ushers them in, and in His hand ushers them out when the time is right. The front end of this thought has been shared with me before. God puts people in our path, yet it took me some time to realize that He always removes them when necessary. I still stay in contact with many of my chums through letters and the occasional phone call. I believe that today the relationship that was once coffee after meeting and late night discussions have been replaced by these letters and calls. In some way, these experiences have strengthened my relationship with God as He is always there and I have found that I never have to be lonely. I am truly happy now when I think of all the people with whom God has allowed me to share my life. As Bill W. once wrote, there is wisdom with the integrity. There is wisdom and integrity. Their, their wisdom and their integrity were mine for the asking. The language of the heart, 263. Their wisdom and their integrity was mine for the asking. Today, I can learn from these precious loans how to live my life and realize the promises available to me. Or I can wallow in what once was feeling miserable and alone. Today, I choose to focus on what is and to be grateful for the gifts, each one and every one. Bob H. from Midland, Michigan. Ah, what an interesting way of um, explaining that. I, uh, for myself... I always said everyone adds uh, water love, a drink of cold water, into my cup. At the right time, right place. We all fill each other's cups. Amen. This would be a good time to put in a statement of great mind of purpose. In other words, the AA grapevine statement of purpose. The AA Grapevine is the International Journal of Alcoholic Anonymous, written, illustrated, and read by AA members and other interesting interests in the AA program of recovery from alcoholism. The Grapevine is a lifeline linkage, one suffering alcoholic to another. Widely known as a meeting in print, the AA Grapevine communicates the experience, strength, and hope of its contributors and reflects a broad geographic spectrum 
of current AA experience with recovery, unity, and service. Founded in 1944, the Grapevine does not receive group contributions, but is supported entirely through magazine subscription sales and additional income derived from the sale of related items. The awareness that every AA member has an individual way of working the program permeates the pages of the Grapevine. And throughout its history, the magazine has been a forum for the varied and often divergent opinions of AAs around the world. Articles are not intended to be statements of AA policy, nor does publication of any article imply endorsement by either AA or the AA grapevine. As Bill W. expressed in 1946, the grapevine will be the voice of the Alcoholic Anonymous movement. Its editors and staff will be primarily accountable to the AA movement as a whole. Within the bounds of friendliness and good taste, the grapevine will enjoy perfect freedom of speech on all matters directly pertaining to Alcoholics Anonymous. Like the Alcoholics Anonymous movement is, it is to mirror, there will be one central purpose. The grapevine will try to carry the AA message to alcoholics and to practice the AA principles in all our affairs. All its affairs, excuse me. Amen and amen. So that prompts me to get keep getting my Spanish and English subscriptions. When they ask me, what do I want for Christmas? That. That's what I asked for. Amen. Our next story is Observations of an Old Timer. This is written in by Paul C. from Prayer Village, Kansas. Because the AA program helped me find a higher power and a wise and loving sponsor, I remained sober for over 20 years. That qualifies me as an old-timer, I'm told, but certainly not as an expert. I think that those of us who have had the benefit of the program for so many years have an obligation to speak out from time to time, not as grouches, but as extremely grateful persons who love AA. I am fortunate in being able to attend meetings throughout our city and in others as well. Occasionally, while there, I observe things which disturb me and would like to hear your views in upcoming issues of the grapevine. It has saddens me to find some groups dropping the Our Father from the format of meetings. Surely it was my father who had got me sober and continues to strengthen me on a daily basis. I appreciate the opportunity to testify publicly to that and ask for continued assistance. Borrowing from the New Testament, I would like believe, to believe that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. In some meetings I hear, we threw away our ashtrays and strong exhortations to clean up the language. Now, any of us restored to sanity know that smoking is unhealthy and annoying to the non-smoker. Most of us find gutter talk to be very offensive. On the other hand, I well remember that as a newcomer, I could focus only on my sobriety and change one thing at a time. I reflect from time to time on the early meetings of co our founders in various kitchens and halls, and I find myself wondering what would Bill and Dr. Bob say about this. First things first. My home group always offered the option of a non-smoking meeting in another area of the hall and, while not sanctioned, bad language tends to 
lead to the mature example of the recovering membership. Am I wrong or are more and more topic meetings relegated to sex, relationships, codependencies, and the like? Now, these are major issues for most of us, but they are personal details and war stories not best left to discussion with our sponsors, aren't they? The meetings they got they got and kept me sober have been the ones on the 12 steps and the big book. I recognize the right of each group to operate in an autonomous way with group conscience being the guidelines. But again, I wonder how our founders would view this gradual shift. It's not easy being an old timer and that title does not give me the right to become a watchdog. I truly believe this. On the other hand, I am so grateful to the years of traditional AA for what they have given me that I hate to see departures from the tradition from that tradition. I don't see AA as a finishing school, social club or self-help or organization. I view it as the conduit through which my higher power talks to me and others about sobriety. Thank you, Paul C. Last night, I had the opportunity to introduce the speakers for the speaker meeting and ask for the readers and so forth and kind of conduct the meeting. And I finished with the promises and the Lord's Prayer. When we put the meeting together, us... My sponsor that has 47 years and me that, that has 25 plus years. That's what was going on when we came in. They prayed. That's what Bill and Bob prayed. They prayed the Our Father. That's what kept us strong and mighty and able. And our, our literature is infiltrated with reference to the Father, the Master, that thy will be done, quotes taken from the prayer. Because it saves lives. Basically, it's it's quick to the chase and it saves lives. I've been in Northern California where they strongly say the prayer, very strong, very adamant, very effective. And their groups are bouncing with joy and enthusiasm and resources and so forth. And when I go with, with a group where it's lackadaisical, they, um, they'll say... Uh, the we format of something, of a prayer, and so forth, it just doesn't have enough power for me. I'm sorry. And I see the, the, I don't see the growth, the enthusiasm, and the joy that I generally find in a strong meeting that closes with the Our Father. That's my views, and I'm entitled to it. I thank you so much for uh, hanging in there with me and reading these articles. So, I encourage my sponsees to have the guts to keep pulling with Paul and Dr. Paul and others we close with. I don't know why I said Dr. Paul, but we do a lot of studying in acceptance. I, I had to accept God's love, and it was through the power of the Our Father that I understood and accepted, and I started my journey in Alcoholic Anonymous. And all he does is he loves me in the meetings, encourages me, and fills my cup to overflow. So thank you so much for coming out here. Let's finish with a prayer of my choice. Hmm. Ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to capture that amen right after deliver us from evil. So be it. Keep us from temptation, tradition one. Keep us from going the wrong places, carrying on the same old way and getting into the same old troubles. Have a great day. Give them heaven, family.